Fritz, welcome to the Leadership Dynamics Podcast. We're excited to bring you the tools and resources used by dynamic, high-performing leaders to communicate effectively, grow their influence, and take their companies to the next level. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Dynamics. So we're going to just have this one over coffee this morning. <laughs> so Kim was, I guess, honored yeah. Right? Yeah. to go on this race across America. And she was with Team One Mile. And so what I thought we would do this morning, because there's so many leadership lessons in what she explained to me in just a short amount of what she did because we'd probably have to sit down for two days to really oh yeah for me to really grasp and understand everything you went through so i thought what better thing to do than to go ahead and do a podcast on it this morning and interview kim and see what it was like so i noticed we're going to get into it so i noticed that you've been posting way more Mm-hmm. On social media, you got back into working out yesterday, eating healthy, talking about that gut-brain access. Yeah. So what inspired the more social media? Because that wasn't what was happening prior to you leaving. Yep. Yep. I think, honestly, being around, there's such amazing people. So there's 20 of us going on this race across America. And you know, for those of you who have no idea what it is, it is the RAM, capital R, A-A-M, Race Across America, and there are multiple groups that do this for multiple reasons. Um, it can be a one-man, a solo, it can be a four-team, it can be two, it can be eight, it can be, I don't know if it expands outside of that, that's just what I know. And in that, there were some highly influential people that were a part of our group. And so I got to watch professional athletes and professional influencers in their own realm posting constantly and watching their network get excited about what they were doing and Mm -hmm. so they felt like they were on this journey with them and it I mean you know I would have micro bits of time at the end of the day to kind of catch a video or I mean, they were doing this while biking. They were doing it while they were while we were taking a bathroom break. You know, we were just talking about where we were and how we were feeling and the landscape around us and the stressors of what was going on and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, you know, I realized in my own pace of being there, I didn't post as often as I wanted to because you had even said I did a really emotional live video on mental health. Yes. And um, I realized after you had said it back to me when I got back that I was really worried about you because I didn't see you after that. So in my own space, I thought, I'm, a, I'm allowing more enough information to come out because everybody around me is posting. But there were people that were genuinely concerned about my own journey, and mm-hmm. I wasn't posting about that. And so watching these influencers and these people that have huge networks and people that look to them for advice and guidance and being kind of in the shit with them, you know, because our lives are not perfect. And I realized on a 10-day trip across America that I knew I wasn't, but but to to be in a space that tested my own limits, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. The RAM for Team One Mile was the absolute hardest thing I've ever done out of 
being on active duty in the Marine Corps, being in the Army, being deployed, being a single mom, being homeless, like that was nothing compared to being thrown into the fire of dealing with multiple A personalities, that A type personality, where we had to literally move as a unit across America. So what happened within, just from my experience in coaching teams and working with teams and taking over stores, <laughs> what was like, what was the first 12 hours on the road like with all these high achieving athletes and mm -hmm. these influencers and leaders in their own realm? Right. But carry large networks and do this for a living. Yeah. What was that yeah. like, that first 12 hours? So n there's only, I can think of one person that does this actual race for a living, that does this type of racing for a living. Um, we had a professional mountain biker, female from Canada and Brazil. She's originally from Brazil. Her name is Viviani. She's amazing. The Iron Cowboy who does this for a living. He's, he's a keynote speaker and he rides for a living. If you don't know who he is, you need to know James Lawrence. He's amazing. Um, and then we had Olympic athletes. You know, we had a general in the Army. We had a commander in the Navy, a Navy SEAL. I mean, y you name it, and we had it in this group. So let me back up a minute and answer your first question. The reason that I came home and started posting more on social media is because I realized that I had pulled myself out when people don't just want the highlight reel. <clears throat> so I was reminded while on this trip that not everybody wants the perfect. They want the shit in between. They wanna know that working out for me was really hard. It is hard. And then coming off of a 10 day road trip where you're eating nothing but garbage because you can't stop to have a hot meal or balance your meals or cook any of your own food, it's really hard to come back and jump back into feeling strong. And I wanted to share that I am feeling weak, but I'm still doing it, and I hope to inspire somebody else to keep going. So the first 12 hours of the race was, it wasn't even about ego yet. It was about making sure the riders were moving. It was about making sure that we could read the map and communicate with each other, and the riders, the racers just kept going. They had no idea what was going on in the background. So I think the first 12 hours was probably it was stressful, but it was a different kind of stress. It was finding our rhythm in the group, figuring out where we fit into our role. We didn't even have time to worry about who was in charge. It was, right. we have a job and we need to learn how to do it really fast. So fast forward, fast forward 40 hours into the race, what was it like? Oh my God, okay. So know that this race goes 24, 24 hours a day. It does not stop. So there's two groups of us, eight riders, four in each group, and everybody else's crew, everybody else's support staff. So we have a lead vehicle, a follow vehicle, a support vehicle, and then you have um, like the mechanic is in his own vehicle. Just How in many case people we have a bike were on the down. support team? 30? Support 20? team? No. So we had 20 total people. There were other, so it started out as a group of 30. Okay. And then we lost our tour vans, our tour buses. There were supposed to be two tour buses that were going to come with us, one to two tour buses that were going to come with us to help us to have everybody stay together so we could cook together, eat together, rest together. 
and we would just switch off. There wasn't going to be really any hotel staying and we were always going to be connected so that we could have these kind of conversations and digress and be able to talk about our frustrations and how we fit in better. That didn't happen. So now we're, you know, we're racing with nothing and we're just trying to make it work and now we're going from hot racking which is basically one group comes in, rests, the next group comes in and rests in the exact same spot as somebody else. You don't wash the sheets, you don't change your clothes, you just sleep as much as you can. And I believe that was somewhere outside of Blythe, California. It was our first stop leaving San Diego. And we didn't get in until 1.30 in the morning. So by the time you come down off your high of driving for 12 hours at 16 miles an hour on average, <laughs> pulling somebody out of the sand, you know, everything, like I said, everything that could go wrong did. And we talked a lot about Murphy's Law. So we were trying to keep Murphy at bay by just having talked about all the things that could go wrong in the beginning. It was about that time when you started to see how stress can affect a team because then you become very siloed and you stop taking constructive criticism. You start taking everything personal because you're trying your best, you know, you're, and, and I think it was different for me. It was different for all of us, but it was different for me because I think I, I'm so soon off of deployment that I was still in that rhythm of knowing my place. Mm -hmm. Even though it was really hard, knowing what we know and what we teach and what we coach on and the understanding that we have, I was really trying to take an outside perspective of what was happening and be a, be a voice of calm um, and trying to get people to communicate slower and more effectively. That was in the first, I would say, 48 hours. So if you could name your top five emotions that you felt in that first 48 hours. Oh, my. What would be the top five? And high anxiety, I think, is the number one. High okay. anxiety. Like, I had to remind myself to breathe. Um, extreme frustration. Like, if you've ever been in a board meeting or a committee or a classroom where everybody had an opinion but nobody had a solution and you had no time to stop and talk about it that's um i was exhausted um like a zombie i was starving <laughs> i was hungry because i wasn't on my i wasn't eating like i normally do um i don't know if that's an emotion but i was i was definitely hungry and when i'm hungry you You're know hangry. me i'm hang i'm hangry and so it does not... So you would... Well, let's just say that's irritation. It is. Yeah. So number three would be irritation. So it makes you short-tempered because yep. your blood sugars are dropping sure. and your body is exhausted. Um, adrenaline. I've never had so much adrenaline pumping through me for an extended period of time. And I can tell you on the backside of that, it's taken me what? I got home Monday morning at 3 a.m., this Monday morning, and it took me. It's Thursday. It today. will probably take me through the weekend to fully recover. Oh, yeah. I have slept more in the past 48 hours than I have in the past two weeks. So, knowing how that stress and anxiety and adrenaline and not eating correctly can affect you, I have a whole new appreciation. For so, that. what would the fifth emotion be? Probably just sadness because. My expectations of what Team One Mile was going to be and the Ram was not realistic. And 
<laughs> and I shouldn't have had any expectations to begin with because we talk about that because expectations are, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment, right? Right, right. But you can't help it. We're human beings and we, we we get excited about it. So we're like, ooh, we start dreaming about what it could be and all the people we're going to meet and the stuff we're going to see. And then you get into it and you you realize it was nothing of what you thought. But however, in defense of Mike Campbell, who is the executive director to help put this all together, there is absolutely no way to explain what people are going to go through because every human being is different and right. their perspective is going to be their reality right. is going to be different. And how many times I tried to bring up our reality triangle to get people <laughs> to understand that, you know, their emotions drive their reality and it drives how they react and respond to things. Yep. But it was really met on deaf ears because mm -hmm. we were so high emotion this is where your emotions affect your judgment. They affect your personality and your reality of what you're actually looking at. And so I think that outside of the feelings that I had, the five feelings I had, that would probably be the most prominent thing that sticks out for me is working with teams that are high-performing teams. These people are number one in what they do. They're not slackers. They, they don't, you know, they're not walking through life blindly. But when you put them to the fire, we were literally stuck in the furnace together. Mike had said, we're all on the same plane and there's no leaving the plane if you decide not to play. You just get to be an observer. And I think that's worse. Okay, so this is gonna be a difficult question. Let's say you were just asked to do a keynote. Mm -hmm. And you're asked to do a keynote about the experience you just went through but you can only talk about the one big takeaway. What would that keynote look like? Oh my God, let me take a sip of coffee here, hold on. <laughs> I'm only how many days back? Like that's a, uh, if I can only talk about one I know, one and I'm pushing, thing. I'm pushing the envelope. It's okay. No doubt, but. I'm gonna pause here and, and just think about that a second. <sighs> one thing that I could talk about. Mm -hmm. The one big takeaway you would do that keynote on that was going to make the biggest impact. And, and the audience is full of our clientele. The audience is full of co-founders yep. and executive teams. I think I would, and you know, and this might change over the coming months if this was asked of me, but right mm -hmm. now, I think it's more about that one person that you think isn't, or that you think might be the weakest link. I think that's what I would talk about. The weakest link? I would talk about the weakest, what people perceive as the weakest link, link in whatever they're trying to accomplish. Because you're always going to have one person that feels that they don't fit in, that they can't support what you're doing, that they can't go as fast as you are, that, you know, that maybe they don't understand something that you guys are doing, but it's not... It's not because they're not worthy of doing it. They just may have not ever encountered it before or have worked through it or had the mentorship and guidance that some other people do. So I've always said, and we've said together, that every good coach needs a good coach. Well, don't forget that just because you're in a room of high-performing people, executives or athletes or whatever you're, you're involved in, that there's always going to be one person that's standing in the back going, holy shit, I don't know if I'm, if I can compete, I don't know if I can be as good as they are, as smart as they are. And the way that that comes out is, is not always 
beneficial for the team. It will right. come out in acting out and being angry or over speaking or having a one-up story, you know, um, throwing in all the things they've done well to try to mask their insecurities of, I don't think I can do this or compete with you guys and I, I don't really know. And then that becomes a stressor to the team because they're not being honest and the team is not trying to liberate that person. They start to have apathy for that person. They start to go, well, whatever, they're just going to be here, they're going to be, we got to complete our task. And I would say that that might not change now that I talk through it, that that might always be what I come in with if I was asked to talk about my experience with this. So I think we're going to do a part two on this okay. because I think there's a lot more. I know there's a lot more. Yeah, well, you just started to open the can. Right. <laughs> you haven't but, peeled back the lid yet. But let's leave our audience with one thing. What is the one word that you would leave the audience with to help them based on what you just went through? Because we know the people and the teams are out there. Yeah. Experiencing just what you experienced. Mm -hmm. It's just not a race across America. It's sitting in the boardroom talking about how they're going to grow their business or the great resignation or remote work or mental health and wellness or DEI or we know those conversations are happening. So yeah. what is the one word, the one thing that you could leave our audience with? Empathy. Empathy. And, and we talk so much about that. And, and that is one of our core values within Rewired Dynamics, but it was put on a whole new level this time. I've come back a different person. Yeah, I noticed. It's not about being sympathetic to somebody. That is, that is disrespectful. It's empathy. It's literally sitting in their shoes and understanding it from their perspective and not expecting them to be where you are. You have to go to where they are. And that's okay. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what level of coaching you do. Because I know that there's going to be coaches that are listening to this podcast. You've got to take yourself out of it. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter the other executives that you've talked to and high-level performers. That person is a high-level performer. They just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. Or they've gotten lost in their own thoughts and their own programming that they have it's up to us to rewire how they think about themselves so it's not about you in the moment and that's the hardest part because we have so much that we want to give to them right yes but if they're not there and we expect them to be there it's met with deaf ears and frustration so empathy must be at the forefront well there you go audience that's a big one so digest that <laughs> Digest that, use it as you will, and we will all see you next week. Love you. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode provided you with valuable insights and actionable steps as you grow in your leadership journey. For more information on this topic or other leadership tools and resources, visit our website at rewireddynamics.com. 